You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing clinical considerations for using warmed composites when placing direct bonded dental restorations. Our guest is Dr. Robert Lowe, who maintains a part-time practice in Charlotte, North Carolina. He publishes and lectures internationally on aesthetic and restorative dentistry. Dr. Lowe, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. Well, it's always a pleasure, Phil, and it's, uh, I'd like to say hello to the, uh, the Dental Talk audience again, and hopefully can give them some good information on, on why they should consider uh, warming their composite when they're placing their direct composite restorations. Yeah, and to begin, so what are warming composites, if we can start with that, and can warming composites be a benefit in a high production practice? Well, I tell you, teaching at MUSC now for the last year and a half and seeing these young dentists come out of dental school uh, with uh, half a million dollars of debt, many of them, and a lot of them going into high production practice situations. Anything I think you can do to uh, increase efficiency while at the same time maintaining quality is a, is a good thing to consider. Now, I think the biggest, at least in my mind, the biggest benefit of warming composite in general is that warmed composite is better adapted to the cavity preparation. What's the number one cause of composite failure? It's microleakage and secondary decay. And as I've told my students for years and other doctors in lecturing, composites are not packable. They're not condensable. This is not amalgam. Composite is like pushing mashed potatoes around in a cavity preparation. So if you think you're taking an amalgam plugger and sealing all these little intricate angles in, in uh, multi-surface cavity preparations, I think we're fooling ourselves. I always say we fill a class two composite preparation on blind faith because a lot of times we can't see the gingival margin because there's an adjacent tooth and the, the preparation doesn't go out buckly or lingually enough to be able to see the intersection of the horizontal and vertical walls. So we're just hoping that that round plugger gets into that square corner and squeezes this mashed potato-like substance into that area and adequately fills it. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. We can't see that on x-ray. But what we do see is the result of inadequate sealing of those areas, and that is restoration failure. Now, one of my good friends, Dr. John Camisi, who I, I teach with at MUSC, he often states in his lectures uh, and quotes a study that the average posterior composite lasts 5.7 years. Well, that's terrible. I always say in my lectures that, well, you know, I've, I've placed a few of those in my 40 years of practice, and uh, I don't think the average lifespan has been 5.7 years. But that being said, composites are a lot more technique sensitive than amalgam. They take a lot more time to place properly. When flowable composites hit the market fill, it changed the way we work with composite because a flowable material can adapt to the complex geometry of a cavity preparation. The problem with those materials, particularly early on, now there are some obvious differences to those, but the majority of flowable composites were not built to withstand occlusal stress. Yeah, the, essentially the earlier ones were just diluted composites, right? They were basically diluted composites, more resin, less filler. Right, a lot less filler, exactly. So you could use them in increments of, of a, a couple of millimeters, maybe, and uh, you know, as uh, uh, liners and 
and, and in small, small restorations and non-occlusal stress-bearing areas. The good thing about flowables is they would adapt well to the cavity. Now, when you look at the possibility of using traditional composites that are warmed, that changes the viscosity to make them more flowable-like, you gain the best of both worlds. You get better adaptation to the cavity preparation, and you get a, a better result long-term with a material that can withstand occlusal stress-bearing forces. So in other words, you're saying that we're warming the composite, which is advantageous during the application of the restorative material, but then once the composite comes back down to regular temperature, it has the physical properties of a composite that is more wear resistant and stronger to compressive forces and other forces than a flowable. So that's the advantage. You're getting the best of both worlds. Is that the basic concept behind this? That is, but I tell you, you know, the people think that warming composite changes the physical properties of the composite, or there's the possibility that that will happen. And that's, that's entirely not true. Uh, all you're doing really is changing the viscosity so that it's easier to manipulate. Warming composite does not affect in any way, shape, or form the uh, uh, physical characteristics of the uh, original composite. So right. that's where you have the advantage over the flowable. So let me ask you this. Now that we're establishing the fact that by warming the composite, you get the benefit of adaptation, what is the preferred application process to get this adaptation while it's in its flowable state? I think the biggest advantage is just like with, with flowable composites, it allows us to place the material without having to use a condensing instrument. I prefer Unitip, uh, Unidose anyways. So, and, and Advent has come out with a new warmer called Compex that actually is like a composite gun. Everybody knows what the composite guns are. You snap the little Unitips into them to dispense the material into the preparation. Well, this new composite warmer actually warms the tip in the gun itself that you're using to deliver the material to the cavity. So you, you pop it in, you, you, you hit the button, and within a, a short period of time, that material is heated, and then you can go right to the tooth, and it literally comes out already with low viscosity so that it adapts to the cavity, and you don't put an instrument in to manipulate it in any way. And the big thing, too, now is when you use a bulk fill composite, a lot of times you don't have to layer it. So you could use a bulk fill composite in the warmer and use one increment to fill the entire cavity and adapt and just remove the excess around the cable surface margins, shape it a little bit and call it a day. So when you go back to the high volume practice, how much time does that save you? It saves you a ton. Yeah, and that was one of my original questions about the high volume practice. So right. I know that some dentists are using warmed higher filled composites for cementation of CEREC and similar types of CAD CAM restorations rather than traditional cements. What do you think about that and what are the advantages, if any? Well, I, I think that's, that's interesting because um, if you go back in history to one of the first doctors to do porcelain veneers, Dr. Mark Friedman, Mark Friedman used to use traditional composite to cement or place his veneers because we didn't have flowable composite. We didn't have resin cements. I, I don't know if he used finger manipulation to thin out the resin uh, composite and make it a little bit less viscous to place. I don't re recall his exact technique. But when you, when you fast forward here now for cementation of 
ceric restorations or high strength ceramics, you're going to have the benefit of a, of a, a material, a cementing medium that has higher physical properties than traditional cements. The other thing you'll have is if you have any minor imperfections or gaps or minor irregularities, you got a solid composite seal. So see nothing but advantages there. Right. So the higher fill composites gives you all the benefits of a higher fill composite compared to a one that is not as filled. But because we're warming it, we get the advantages of using it in, in either a CEREC or, or a similar type of CAD CAM restoration. I've also heard, and I don't know if this is true, that's why we have you on this podcast and I'm asking the questions, you're answering them. I've also heard that warm composites require less cure time. Now, again, that's something that goes along with a high production practice. That's, that's valuable to a dentist. As far as I know, most dentists are not aware of this nor taking advantage of it. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not particularly well-versed on how it affects the cure time, but I will tell you as a clinician, if I have to cure five seconds or 10 seconds or 20 seconds, I don't care. I want to make sure that things are well cured. I, I, my time isn't that cut short that I need to worry about saving a couple seconds on curing the cement. Um, but if, if that is true, you know what? Just another thing. I, I always over-cure anyways because you can't over-cure. The other thing, too, is I need to stress when we're talking about curing, particularly whether it's warm composite or whether it's uh, uh, composite cement or what have you. Most dentists are unaware of the output of their lights and whether or not their lights are getting to the proper depth. So, again, just like any other composite or any other cement, my main worry about stressing a shorter curing time is, uh, are we getting to the bottom and curing everything? Are we curing the top and leaving mush on the bottom? So I don't know. I, I, I think there's a room for discussion on that. I want good results in the office and I don't shave time just to worry about uh, uh, making things faster. I want them right. So we'll come back to that. Okay. This complex warming device, does that accommodate all these compules that, that are out there from the different manufacturers? Is this kind of a universal gun that, how do I know that I don't buy some composite where my compule, this unitip, whatever you called it, doesn't fit in that gun? How, how does it accommodate everything? Well, that, that's a good question. And I, I tell you, I, I haven't tried every single brand on the market, but I've probably used 10 or 12 different ones. And, and most of these tips, I, I would guess, are made by one manufacturer that sell them to the different companies and they load them. They all fit. I've never had a, I've never come across a unit tip that does not fit in the complex. I don't think that would be something that uh, uh, a clinician should have to worry about. Shrinkage has always been a big topic. It was a huge topic in the past before the materials became more advanced. Now with more advanced materials. It was a big topic on Seinfeld from what I remember once too. <laughs> I must have missed that episode. So warming. Well, you have to catch that one. Though. Yeah, right. Warming is documented to reduce shrinkage and shrinkage stress. I assume that has to do with polymerization stress too. I don't know. You let us know. Is this significant to restorative dentistry? Well, I think it's well documented that shrinkage stress are a big deal. Uh, they're, they're a big deal to the, the stresses that are put on the adhesive and the stresses that are put on the, the restorative material themselves. I mean, just look at the marketplace, how many different companies have come out with low shrinkage or low, low stress uh, materials because photopolymerization does cause this, this cross-linking that in some cases, depending upon the length of the chains and whatnot, I'm not a chemist, 
it's going to affect how much the material withdraws, how much it pulls, and how much it pulls the adhesive. So I think it is a big deal because particularly since uh, micro leakage is one of our worst enemies, you know, bacteria are only one micron in diameter. And we, we consider a closed margin 20 to 30 microns. So do the math. The smaller you can make the gap between the restoration of the tooth, the better. So, and, and the, as far as the shrinkage uh, stress, the stress on the actual tooth structure is brittle. I mean, there's been, uh, you know, studies with older composites that have shown potential cusp fracture and, and, and displacement because of polymerization uh, shrinkage stress. So I don't know that it's as big a deal now as it was 20, 30 years ago. It's certainly a consideration. And again, if, you're, if your goal is to put a stress-free inert material into a cavity preparation with ease of placement and the best adaptation possible, it just makes sense to use a warmed material. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you as a closing question, Dr. Lowe. I was going to say, if you had to choose one or two main reasons why you would recommend every general dentist to use a warm every. composite technique, yeah, uh, what would the reasons be? You just covered it. So let me ask you something different. Fast forward five years from now, 10 years from now, how long is it going to take for the prevailing method of delivering composite into the tooth preparation to be a warm technique versus the way it is now? Because I don't know what the adoption rate is right now for warming composite before delivery. Well, and I'm not aware of the adoption rate either. That's why we, we do these things and give the profession the information to consider and, and give it a try. Now, I'm familiar with a lot of the different efforts over the years. I was a big user of SonicFill for years when that came out from Kerr. I mean, that was a very innovative device and, and a proprietary composite that, that changed viscosity based on uh, sonic energy in the handpiece. It came out like a heavy body flowable and it was allowed manipulation so that you didn't have to condense and you didn't have to uh, use a flowable as a liner. That's one thing. And when we talk about cements, years ago, there was a, a material, I, I believe it was from Premier, called Sonosem. Talk about uh, old Ceric restorations and that this, this was a composite cement that used a, a vibrating mechanism, almost like the old condenser condenser I used to use on alloy with a rubber tip to change the viscosity and almost liquefy the cement and squeeze out the excess around the margin. So we've been thinking about ways to change viscosity of our looting agents and restorative materials for years. And warming is not a new concept. But I think with Compex, you gain the advantage of having the warm composite right at the tooth. Even with the older warmers that are available, you still have to take the composite compule, load it into the composite gun or delivery device. And of course, you could fumble it around a little bit or the assistant puts it in backwards or what have you. By the time you get that over to the cavity preparation and actually start delivering that composite, how much of that heat is already dissipated? Right. That was always the knock on, um, on heated composites with the traditional warmers. Whereas now with Compex, that, that, that is totally gone. I mean, that material is ready. You, put, you go to the tooth and it, it just comes out and flows and adapts nicely. I don't know if we're going to be changing from a, a BIS-GMA-based composite resin restorative material in the future or not. But I think that uh, as people discover the benefits not only better restoration, but ease of placement and delivery, 
just the fact that you don't have to place in layers and condense those layers. If you're using a bulk fill flowable in a compule and you warm it, uh, it's going to make the uh, restorative process go a lot smoother and quicker and still get a superior result. And that's really the key for me. Dr. Lowe, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Great insight. We learned a lot. Uh, it's always great to talk to a wet finger dentist who's an academic guy who's been around the block a couple of times. You've practiced a couple of decades at least, I would say. And uh, Graduated in 1982. There you I go. Know, I stopped counting those decades. Yeah, I know. It's, it's scary when you <laughs> stop counting the decades. I know. I know. But we have a young audience too, so we want to make them think we're hip and young too. To all the young dentists out there, and the, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to to be with these young dentists and training them in school and just watching them absorb all this information. But just remember one thing, you can't do everything on a computer. Computer-assisted dentistry is nice, but learn your basics because that's where it all starts. Dr. Lowe, great podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great night. Thank you so much, Phil. Look forward to the next time.